Johnny. I'm down here with my good friend, Mark Breton. Oh, Mark, it's so nice to be here. Yes, it is. You. Oh. <laughs> and we are down here, and we are finishing up our uh, uh, Human Emotions series focus on grief and sadness. And uh, this may be one or two shows. I don't know how that's going to go, but uh, uh, if you listen to Iron Show 36, Grief and Sadness Part 1, you are now listening to Welcome to Here at Iron Show 37, Grief and And this show is about grief and sadness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. And I got some, I got some shout-outs to give to my friends, fellow podcasters out there. I love you. Johnny loves you. I'd like to give a shout-out to Dr. Future. Future Quake. Yeah. Yeah! Futurequake.com Peter Goodgame, my friend Peter Goodgame. I love you, man. Love you. Redmoonrising.com That's Redmoonrising.com Love you, Pete. Bruce Collins. Bruce Collins, man. I've been a fan of Bruce Collins for years. And he has uh, taken the Iron Show under his wing and made us part of the Fringe Radio Network. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. I am the Fringe. Oh, yeah. That's fringe. They're on the edge. On the edge, Watch baby. Johnny fall off the edge. <laughs> Johnny's not going to fall off. That's fringeradionetwork.com. The Bruce Collins Show and many fine shows there, including the Iron Show. All right. Let's give a shout out to Derek and Sharon. Derek and Sharon Gilbert, PID Radio. Oh, man, I love you. Uh, VFTB.net, View from the Bunker. Derek Gilbert. Uh, Give a shout out to my friend Rabbi Mike. Man, I love you, Rabbi Mike. That is MichaelBug.com with two G's. Okay, all right. Chris White, love you, man. He is the pioneer of Chris White. You know what can you say, right? I know this oh. guy's on move. Oh man, I met that guy in person. You know him. Council Mark is a friend of Chris White. He actually yep. sees him in person all the time. So I count myself fortunate. Tell you, man. You've had some real conversations in the flesh with Chris White. I have. He's a great man of God now. He used to just be a conspiracy freak. And then he turned to Jesus about, must be about, oh, seven years ago. And he has become, man, he is like a full-fledged preacher man now. Uh, I have, have you learned anything from him? Of course, you're totally educated yourself. You're probably even more advanced than him. But One of the things I have learned from Chris, and I, it, it is a fantastic lesson, is that when an opportunity sits in front of you, you grab it. Yeah. And he has. Yeah, he has. And him and I have talked about doing some stuff. So, All uh, right. I have no idea what the, how that's how and when, but him and I have talked about doing some good stuff together. So, wow. Uh, on discipleship. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. Chris White and Counselor Mark, Brett Tima. Whoa. Dude, that's like a force to be reckoned with. Do you want to go first? Ah, yes, I do. Always. You're on the Iron Show. Yeah, boy. All right. I'd like to 
Yeah. I'd like yeah. to give yeah. I'd like to give a shout out to Double Dutch, Andy, and Cruz on Future Quake South Africa. All right. I love you guys. Yeah. Andy. Let me say this. I haven't talked to the guys in South Africa. I really haven't addressed you, gents, but I got to tell you this. The fact that you've taken up the mantle and you're running with it, God bless you. That rocks. Oh, yeah. FQSouthAfrica.co.za. It's FQSouthAfrica.co.za. Yeah, man, those guys. I love And Andy, Andy from uh, Future Break South Africa, has a word for all you Iron Show listeners. She told me today, I was talking to her earlier, she said, Hi! All right! (laughs) And I can't forget Duct Tape. He's part of the crew. I love Duct Tape. Jealous of his studio. (laughs) All right, and there's a new show that I've listened to. Have you checked this out, Counselor Mark? Dude, this is the best show to come out in years. You know, I was in such deep sorrow after the loss of Future Quake, as Dr. Right. Future has, you know, given up Future Quake and, and gone to writing uh, books. So I guess we can look forward to all that. He sent me some drafts of some of the books he's been writing. Me and Dr. Future are good friends, but this new show has come along, and uh, it is the best show in years. I don't know if you've heard it, Council Mark, but it's Canary Cry Radio. I'm looking it up right now. Look it up, dude. Canary Cry Radio. This is the best show that I have heard in years. And I have listened to every single episode at least twice. And one of them I think I listened to three or four times. But uh, CanaryCryRadio.com. I want to give a shout out to Gonzo and Basil. I love you guys, man. You guys are the bomb. That is cool. Their website is cool. Major props to you guys on the website. Just, Just the header graphic alone is awesome. Oh, Super, yeah. man. I love the concept. Yeah, Basil is a graphic designer, and uh, yeah, and Gonzo is a, uh, a sound band. He's a sound editor. That is cool. Guys, get a hold of me. I need help. Oh, yeah. Dude. <laughs> get a hold of me so I can do my website. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got will. something awesome here. Oh, yeah. CanaryCryRadio.com. I'm telling you what. Go and listen to this show. It is the best show that's come out in years. You can go fire up iTunes, click on podcasts, and type in Canary Cry Radio. And uh, you can get that, you know, on a podcast, you know, so it's real automatic on your, on your, uh, on your iPhone or your, or, or your iPod or whatever. But uh, I'm telling you what, uh, Gons and Basil, they are the best hosts. And they sit there and they speak so intelligently and they have so much insight. They're so refreshing. And they're so wise, and, and they have so much knowledge, and um, they just they just get on there, and they're a little like the Iron Show because they just get on there and talk. And this conversation is just every single show is absolutely just beautiful, and I think you gain a lot, you know, of you know uh, comfort and uh, you know a lot of knowledge from Canary Cry Radio. I love you guys. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to Russ Dizdar, Shatter the Darkness. Um, I got an email from Russ Dizdar the other day. And uh, I, I, I am so privileged that I have actually uh, seen Russ Dizdar in the flesh. And he hugged me three times. That's cool. <laughs> and the last time he hugged me, right, he backs up, you know, and, and, he, and I go, Oh, so, like, you know who I am and everything, right? And he goes, uh, No, who are you? 
Oh, man, that's hilarious. All right. All right. I love you guys, everybody out there, my fellow podcasters, listeners to the Iron Show. Uh, Iron Show listener Mike, man. I love you, man. I know you're out there. <laughs> oh, wow. Was, uh, anyway, after I took my antibiotics, antibiotics, my last dose, I thought of that this song. Oh, wow, yeah. Get off of these antibiotics. It's almost a good song. How about getting off of these antibiotics? Oh, yeah. I love that. How about stopping eating when I am full of... This is, a, this is one of the greatest songs I think ever written. How about them I love Ben. That just got me right to my soul. I was just like, you know, <laughs> thank you, India. Uh, listen, go, go to ironshow.com, the, fir- the front page. Got ironshow.com. You will see an Indian preacher uh, praying with the lepers. He is an Iron Show listener, and his band of preachers goes through the jungle uh, reaching out to the, uh, the, the idol-worshipping heathens. And they take care of the orphans. They pray with the lepers. And uh, they evangelized to the idol-worshipping uh, natives in the foothill, the mean, mean, meanest part of India. And they go through the jungle listening to the Iron Show. And they call me Precious St. Johnny. <laughs> I was like, I can't live up to that. Look at that man at ironshow.com, Pastor Tadapudi Simon Peter. And uh, that's the guy who calls me Precious St. Johnny. I love you, man. I love you. I love you, Pastor Simon Peter. I just love that man. You know, I am not worthy to tie that man's boots. If he even has boots, he probably goes barefoot. You know, that is just amazing. Have you? Can you see him? Are you looking at him? I'm, I'm getting to it right now. All right, but uh, that is just so cool. Yeah, that's him praying with the lace. See it? Ironshow.com. Yeah, I see it. There's. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, Iron Show listener, Pastor Tadapudi Simon Peter, in the jungles of India, listening to the Iron Show. And uh, I got to tell you, I got to give a shout out to that man. And uh, if you click on his picture, you'll see information on us, how to send that man a few dollars. You know how much ten dollars? You know how much rice that will buy in India for orphans that he's feeding? He desperately needs just a few bucks. You know, anybody listening, just click on his picture. You know, I'll write it in the front page of ironshow.com and send him 10 bucks, 20 bucks. That's not going to hurt you. I do it. You know, that's nothing for an American. For an Indian, 10 bucks, man, that's like going to feed a lot of orphans. That's a lot of rice. Yeah. So, anyway. Huge difference. But uh, anyway, what I was talking about is that when I got off the antibiotics, I was, you know, I had been through so much, you know, in the dark places, you know, and. 
And uh, I just, I have thought about that song and I went and pulled it up on YouTube and listened to it. And the chorus, you know, in that song is so relevant, you know. To me, it's like, thank you, India. I think of Simon Pastor, you know, Tadapudi Simon Peter. And thank you, terror. You know, I think about all the terror that I've been through reaching out to Jesus from that place. I, you know, thank you, frailty. Because as human beings, you know, our life hangs on such slender threads. As you said, what did you say? Gothamer, Gothamer threads. <laughs> Thank you, emptiness. Thank you, silence. Thank you, all those things for leading me to Jesus. Because when we're in that place, he's the only one we can reach to for help. It's, and it's really interesting how, you know, she's written that song. And there's a couple words in it I, I hear and I'm just like, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, I know. But, Some of that song. But, she's but not a Christian. To us. No, say it again. You know, you, you hear it, and there's so much of it that is actually applicable. And you have to remember that these people that write the songs that are not just garbage, they're on the same journey we are as, as humans, rather, trying to find the truth. Amen. You know, and some of them are running from it. Yeah. thinking they're trying to find the truth. They're trying to stay away from the truth. But, but you know, you're able to listen. There's a song right now. I don't know. I heard it in a restaurant I like to go to a lot where they've got this great turkey sandwich. Anyways, and it's like, who is this? And my, I was with my daughter, and uh, I was like, do you know who this is? And she says, well, this is the main line. to make out the words. So I looked it up, and it's called All That You Are. And it's by the Goo Goo Dolls. I don't even like the Goo Goo Dolls, right? <laughs> I like some of their stuff. And and I'm I'm not a big fan. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying they're not talented. Some of those saying, hits are pretty you know, good. But I listened to this song, and I was just like, oh, my goodness. It, it hit me. I'm right. going to learn it and, and play it. And, and people are going to be like, well, why are you going to get this song? I just listen to the words. This is all about God. I mean, he might have thought he was writing a chick tune, but it was all about God. You hear that, and it's, it's every bit fits that. And so it's just amazing. Just amazing how pieces of art, you know, you might look at the you might know something about some artist who's done this incredible painting you know where if you know a little chunk of their personal life you might not like them but when you look at that piece of art it's just it glorifies god and it's just breathtaking he's so amazing in how he can get he can wring his glory out of practically anything it just just blows my mind it just blows my mind. Now, in our last Iron Show session, Iron Show 36, we had uh, what we had done was we had uh, stacked up the uh, the stages of grief, and I had seven stages of grief that caretaker Drew Montgomery from the World of Prophecy had given me. And if you go to worldofprophecy.com, you can sign up. It's a big forum. A lot of great, friendly people, you know. Give a shout-out to Rose, Caretaker, Wait Quickly, White Tiger, you know, all you guys down there at the World of Prophecy. I love you. And uh, go to worldprophecy.com and sign up. But we had asked for some input on the grief and sadness session from our friends at World of Prophecy. And Caretaker had set us up with the seven stages of grief. And... uh, we had started to go through those in the last Iron Show, Iron Show 36, Grief and Sadness, Part 1. And uh, I'd like to start this session here 
with uh, you know stacking those uh, stacking up those stages and having Councilor Mark go through them. Now, Councilor Mark, you were saying that these seven stages of grief were not uh, actually stages of grief for someone who had gone through terrible loss, but rather someone who was actually dying. Yeah, that's kind of how they're classified by the original author. But yes, that's true. The, the, the Seven Stages of Grief was written uh, specifically for people who were dying. It was the idea of how to get through all the stages of death. And uh, I'll tell you this, though. When you come across something really good for one kind of thing like that, there's so much overlap that it's definitely applicable for all manner of different things because we do pass through stages as we deal with grief and loss, whether it's our own grief and loss or whether we're observing the grief grief and loss of someone else. Yeah, so speaking of overlapping, let's go ahead, let's go ahead and overlap this and go through these stages of grief. We'll get started with that and we'll see where this goes because there are no rails or rules on the Iron Ship. No. no. Oh, hey, by the way, dude, what's up? What's up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, see, that's, that's the thing right there. That's Councilor Mark's credentials. Yeah, that's the only thing I'm bringing, baby. Is, <laughs> it's, it's a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. thing to behold, buddy. Oh, man, that just got me. Hey, uh, you know, let's just go through these. Uh, I'm going to give, you know, we have no notes on the Iron Show. I just usually look at the wall and just go. Anyway, we're just going to go through here. I do have a list in front of me. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, read each stage of grief. And Councilor Mark is going to comment on it for a few minutes. And we'll see where we go from there. Okay. Uh-huh. The, okay, here's, the, here's how we do the seven stages of grief. The first is shock or disbelief, Councilor Mark. Yep. <laughs> That's it exactly. Because, and, and I can tell you I've been experiencing some of this myself, is you don't believe that this can be happening to you. It's like, I remember when I was in the military uh, a long time ago, we used to talk about the young guys that were like 18, and they just really honestly believed they were utterly bulletproof. I mean, they would do stupid stuff, and they really thought nothing was going to happen to them. And then as you got older, all of a sudden, what would happen is, is family members would die, you know, and, or you would deal with the passing of a parent, or just something would go wrong. Oh, yeah, you get older, you're going to face that. Yeah, and then your perspective would definitely change, and you'd have to deal with the truth of it. You know, I sat at, this will sound kind of shallow, but I sat at dinner tonight with my kids and uh, my wife's working on some schoolwork. So we went out and they were talking about how my youngest daughter, she just turned 19. She's like, yeah, you know, I can't drink Dr. Pepper anymore. And it really upsets my stomach. And I said, you know what? I can't drink any soda anymore. I, I, I have to cut back on my tea and I drink decaf and I'm having to cut back on my coffee and pretty soon it's going to be nothing but water and a little bit of butter on toast for me. And that's it, you know. My name and is so, Johnny and I like toast. <laughs> All right. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling this loss in my own life. I'm, I'm watching the party barge float away because there's no more pizza at 10 o'clock at night. 
at all. Nothing fun. There's just, it's gone. I can't do it. My body will not do it. And when I was 25, I would have never, ever thought about being in the place I'm in now at 45. Never would have ever thought that it felt this way. But sure enough, man, it happens. And it happens to everybody. Everybody experiences it. So that's it. And you, you are shocked. You will be rattled to your core. And, and, and it puts you in a really awkward spot in your life because the world doesn't stop turning. You know, everybody keeps moving on because they're not going through it. You are. They're, 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 and they're at a place in their life where they're not experiencing that, but you are. And because you can't get other people to stop and go, hey, I remember you and I talked about this because you were talking about holing up, I think, after your mom uh, passed. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, you went into shutdown. And we talked about why that happened and how it was like we wanted the world to stop so right. we can have time to deal with it. And it, it, does, right. it just doesn't. And part of the shock is the fact that, and this is something else that people don't understand, until it happens to them, until they get that hot, wet slap, is that hot the world slap. just is going to keep on trucking. Yep. And so when you come to a stop in your own life and you're devastated and you can't believe something's going on, but it sure enough is, like I said, the world just keeps on trucking, man. The yeah. traffic keeps passing. And you want and it to stop because it has oh, stopped yeah. for you. You're like, what are all these people going about their lives? The world is over for me. I yep. want everybody to stop. Yep. <laughs> I just want it all to stop, lock up, and, and, and wait for you. So that you can deal with it and get back to normal life. How do we deal with shock and disbelief? You talk to somebody. You talk to somebody. You find somebody who's gone through it, who's uh, the kind of person who is deep. You don't, you don't just go looking for somebody who's, ah, man, everybody goes through that. Don't worry about it. Because that's not what you want to hear. You know, when you get that thing, you need to find that person in your life. And if you don't have that person in your life, you better get one. Yeah. Because you're going to need it because guess what? You're in stage 1. You can find you somebody at a, you can find somebody like sure. that. Sure. Go to any, World of Prophecy. Any local church too. World of Prophecy, yeah. they will really help you. Rose cool. and Caretaker, they will give you the best advice. It's worldofprophecy.com. Join I've up. had I've had nothing but fantastic interactions with the people at World of Prophecy. Oh yeah. Love them. And I don't go there very often. They're all probably like, "Oh yeah, he's talking up a good story." But just a shout out to all of you. you every time I go and, and jump in a forum or, or anything like that, it's really amazing. This is a real loving group of people. And that's what you need to find is a loving group of people. You need that person you can talk to that you can unload and, and explain to them that you just can't move, that you're so rattled at that moment that you, you don't know what to do. Yeah, go to worldofprophecy.com, join up, and get a hold of Daisy or Caretaker or both of them. Rose. And, man, and wait quickly, you know, and they will help you. I mean, that's just, there is, that's what's going to happen. So, and, 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 uh, and this world that we're in right now, online communities, for a lot of people, that is their reality. You know, that's what they do. That's how they relate. And so they're already in a lot of online communities. And for them, getting in another one just makes perfect sense because that's how they deal with things. So, you know, it's, I've had, I've, I've been hearing, you know, so much, uh, since I started on the internet in 1995 
uh, with the fir- one of the first websites on the internet. Yeah, your Johnny is one of the your Johnny boy. He's one of the founders of the web. But anyway, uh, right there with Al Gore. I've heard. <laughs> I had one of the first uh, websites on the uh, internet, tshirtsplus.com, which got taken away from me from somebody else who owned the name. But anyway, uh, I had thestrange.com, which I missed the renewal by one day, and it turned into a Russian porno site. So sorry about that, everybody. That was back in the mid '90s. But anyway, um, what I've heard throughout my ventures on the Internet is that these are virtual relationships and you need to hook up with real people locally. And I, you know, I got a problem with that statement because these people who are online and talking to you, these are not virtual people, people. <laughs> these are real people. They're not, they're not virtual just because of the media and the technology and everything. And because they're so far away, you know what I say? I say, so what? I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is a human. You know, like if you right. go to the World of Prophecy, worldofprophecy.com, hook up there with uh, Daisy, your caretaker. These guys are real people. I'm sorry, everybody, but they're not virtual people. No, that community has decided to, uh, to be real. You know, nobody's getting on there and being fake, you know. You know, they've got cool names and stuff like that. But they're not pretending to be someone that they're not. No. You know, they're there to minister. They're there to talk about Christian issues. They're there to talk about the scriptures. And, uh, and again, an online community might be the only thing that you can do at the moment. It might be the one thing that you can actually get involved with because if you're housebound, or if you just yeah. can't get out of the house, yeah, you know, because you're so depressed or shocked or freaked out or whatever it is, get online. Then you can reach out to people that we're friends with. I mean, I'm there. Yeah, you know? I am too. Email me. <laughs> yeah, the Breton with one T, T H E. Spell it out. T H E B R E T O N at gmail dot com. All right. Yeah. And I'm a good boy Johnny at Q dot com, and that's just one the letter Q. Used to be Quest's old email addresses, but Quest turned into CenturyLink. And anyway, but so now we we've we've uh, we've commented on the first stage of grief, shock, and disbelief, and now we come to the second stage of grief, and this is where everybody moves to Egypt and sets up a camp on denial. <laughs> All right, denial. Oh, it's cheap, dude. I know. Oh. Cheap joke. Denial. 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 It is well, denial. It is denial not is... happening. It, it can't be happening. This is not real. Picture this. You're in the boxing ring. You don't know how you got in the ring. There's somebody that's coming at you, and all they want to do is hit you. And you're running around the ring trying to figure it out. That's the shock part. The denial part is when you get into a corner and just cuddle up against one of the, uh, the uh, turnbuckles. That's the denial part because that guy's still standing there ready to hit you. And if you think that you're going to be safe, you're still in the ring. You're still right there. And you, if you get up, you're going to get pummeled. And that's what it's like. And so people try to find a place that they are comfortable with where their coping tools have worked before where they've been able to take things off in little pieces and go, okay, I can do this. I can deal with this. And instead what they do is, is like, no, nah, there's nothing to deal with. It's fine. You know, it's cool. And, and, and so that's, that's the face that they present to the world because they just cannot fathom. You know, once the shock is still kind of wearing thin there and 
And they just can't fathom it. That's how they deal with the shock is they're just like, no, this didn't happen. It just it didn't happen. It's not like this. It's not what you think. And so that gives them power. The shock, oh. you're utterly helpless. And the very first thing that you can get power is just to claim that it's not occurring at all. Oh. So oh, yeah. people get power to deal with their life by denial. It's like I've got power over this because I can, I can say that it's not true, even though it is. Is there a power we can reach for besides denial to default to another power, to another stage? Grieving. Oh, okay. Well, that's Actual just, grieving. Yeah. Okay, now, when we, as, as we go through the list of the seven stages of grief, shock and disbelief, denial, we come to the subject of Iron Show 30. That's ironshow.com. Go there and download it. Or on iTunes... Fire up iTunes, click on podcasts, enter Iron Show or John McMahon in the search box, and you can go ahead and subscribe to our podcast, which is available in the iTunes store for free. But uh, we, on our third stage of grief, we come to the subject of Iron Show 30, which is anger! Yeah. All right. All right, man. Yeah, let's get mad. I'm so and angry. Next, anger. Anger is another power thing. It's another thing where you get control because you're able to manipulate yourself. So you've been shocked. You know, this thing has happened. You get hit in the head with it. And it's overwhelmed your system. Because it's overwhelmed your system, you just go ahead and go and deny it. So now you're just saying, no, it's not what it is. You're claiming that it's something else. And then, once the denial starts to slip off and you realize, yeah, I'm facing this... Then you get angry, because angry is an even more powerful tool to use against the reality that you don't want to face. That's what anger is. I mean, think about it. Somebody does something you don't like, and you get mad. Why? Because they've created a reality that you don't want to deal with. And so what do you do? You get mad at them for messing with your reality. And, and that's it. It's, it's, it's just how we cope. It's one of the things that we do, and it's like a big part of I've seen dealing with anger is is marriage men use anger to have power over their emotions in marriage because they cannot find a way to control their emotions any other way so think about it that if you're married and your wife has done something and you feel horrible humiliated you're grieving it's awful it's and and what do you do you get angry you get angry yeah angry angry i gotta get angry at you boy so Ah. you get angry and then you've got power. See, because you're in control of your anger. You're the one who's got the reins on this thing. And if you want to ramp it up and get even furious, then you can do that. If you want to just steam, that you're, it's, you're basically forcing the people around you to come to you and say, what's wrong? Did I do something to offend you? Or, or something along those lines. You've created situation where other people have to come and deal with you on your terms and that's what you really want to do with the circumstance that has caused you grief the one that you're eventually going to actually really grieve over if you're smart right that's what you're doing is you're trying to get that circumstance to come to you and get permission to be you know and in actuality you're going to end up at that circumstance trying to figure out how you're going to be it's just it's just power you know, uh, when I was 21, I was famous on the West Coast. I was a uh, singer for Avant Garde. And uh, 
we toured up and down the West Coast, and I had this beautiful, beautiful uh, fiance that uh, I was, you know, living with and stuff. This was before I was a Christian. This is heathen times, heathen times for Johnny when I was 21. And uh, I had this beautiful, beautiful uh, fiance, and she left me for a big, huge Italian dyke that was about 200 pounds and about six inches taller than me with a mustache. And uh, I, she used to call me up on the dyke, used to call me up on the phone while she was giving it to my girlfriend and, and call me names and stuff and say, listen to this. And I'd be crying and stuff, leave her alone, you dyke. <laughs> Oh. Those were the days. Anyway, I went through those seven stages of grief from losing her and anger. I, w- I got to anger. And so I really know what you're talking about, Mark. I mean, I was just, just sitting here soaking this up because I've been there. And I'd like to tell you that I've defaulted to another thing that was between anger and the next step of grief, uh, next right. stage of grief. And that was violence. I went into bars. I would drink gin until I got belligerent and pick a fight. And I must have gotten a hundred fights uh, in that year. Ah, man, I was man. I walked through that year with broken bones and contusions and everything because I just wanted to fight. And that physical pain. I those fights I got in. I only won maybe one or two of them. The other ones I got my ass kicked. Oh wow! <laughs> but I'm telling you that. That's what you needed. That physical pain felt so good because it would take away all the mental pain I was going through. Right, right. See? No, I totally know what you're talking about. And that's what people do. You know, people get into booze or they get into whatever. You know, they do something to make something different. They just have to. They just have to do something different. And they've got to shake it up. And so people will choose to do some really reckless things to shake it up. But it's what they feel like they need to do. Oh, it helped me a lot, but it was the wrong thing to do. People, do not go out to bars, drink gin, and pick fights. You know, I'm lucky no. I'm alive. I'm lucky I'm alive. You know, that all that led me to Jesus, you know, in the end, of course. Uh, you know, I thank God for adversity. Thank God for emptiness and terror and loneliness. You know, thank God for those things that bring you to Jesus. You yeah, know. but absolutely. <laughs> I know that sounds weird. You know, it doesn't. You know, it really, really doesn't. When you're a believer and you understand those things, then you you have a different approach. You have a different feeling about them, and you you understand how loneliness works. You know how that actually works, and that actually does you good. There's an ache in our soul so bad that wants to know God. It's just so powerful. And when we get into these circumstances like you're talking about, losing your girlfriend, you know, losing your spouse, losing a parent, oh, and, and God forbid losing a child. Oh, my God. You go through these things, and it's just, man, it's in those dark, awful moments when you find out who you really are and, and how well you and God are, are on, on terms, what kind of terms you and God are on. You know, and those, those are the times. You know, Phil Keggy has a song, uh, uh, and, and the lyrics of it is, that's when the wild, wind, wild winds blow, that's when the pain won't go. And, and, and the final thing is, is that you need to know that he's there. You know, and, uh, and that's the truth. Man, those are the hard, hard times. 
that we go through and we've got we it's just got to be different and we can only make it different by by going through the process so when you get that anger going on you have to recognize that your anger is hurt it's hurt lashing out that's what it is you're just trying to get control of a situation that you you cannot get control of because it's just out of your hands it's out of your hands, and that's a good point, because at that point, Jesus is your only answer. You don't have any other choice. That's absolutely right. Yeah, we're, get, we're getting through the uh, seven stages of grief here on The Iron Show, and uh, what do you get, you know, a lot, of, a lot of grief and sadness is caused by insomnia, you know, and, 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 and you know, people that live with dyslexia, where they see words backwards and upside down and stuff, have a terrible time. You know, they probably suffer with some grief and sadness. But what do you get when you cross an insomniac with a dyslexic with an agnostic? Someone who stays up late wondering if there really is a dog. <laughs> All right! <laughs> <laughs> All right! You're on the Iron Show now, buddy. Okay, as we struggle through these seven stages of grief, shock and disbelief, denial, anger, we get to a strange stage of grief, which is bargaining. Yep. This is when we realize that our anger is not the power that we hoped it was, uh, that we'd hoped it would be. Uh, all of a sudden, you start to see a crack in the veneer of our helplessness. You start to see uh, you start to see the helplessness leak out, and so now, uh, <clears throat> with someone who's dying, you know, with the the person who wrote this book writing about people dying, going through these stages, this is when they start trying to make a deal with God. This is when they're like, "Okay, if you let me live, I'll do this. You know, or if you let me live, I'll quit doing this." They just basically are trying to cut a deal. And for people who are going through the grieving process, you know, after losing a loved one or something like that, or uh, are losing someone, that w- which is more prevalent for this kind of thing, for the bargaining thing, uh, if they're in the middle of that process of loss, they're going to uh, they're going to try to cut any deal they can with God. They're just going to or whoever, they're either going to, like, if I were a Darwinist, and a lot of people are like, you know, Darwin is more of a philosophy than just saying, oh, yeah, I believe in evolution. If I were a Darwinist and someone very near and dear to me was was dying, I think it would really shake my foundations. And I would have to lie to myself a lot to, to bolster myself up and maintain my philosophy because for Darwinists, life is ultimately meaningless. So who do you bargain with? There's nobody to bargain with the universe. Well, that's it. You're going to bargain with the universe. You don't, you don't believe the universe even cares. Can you bargain? Can you bargain with Jesus? Can you bargain with him? Well, you can read the Old Testament and hear where some people have made some deals with God. Yeah. The problem with that is is that people don't understand those things are the exceptions. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, think about Martha. You know, Martha goes to Jesus and he, she's, she's like, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Yeah. You know? And Jesus said, 
you know, we know from reading it in John, this account that there was, God was to be glorified in this. Now, it just so happened that Jesus was going to call Lazarus from the tomb. But there's a lot of other instances where I have to say, you know, 99.99999, nobody's getting called out of any tombs. You know, there's a lot of miracles and a lot of great things happen in this life, and we see God do amazing things. But the fact of the matter is, is even if he does something amazing at that moment, that all of us are slated to go. And I think that what people can do to help them with the grieving process is to understand philosophically and eventually allow it to kind of live in their hearts is the idea that loss is a part of this life and that we have to reconcile ourselves to the realities of this life. And that is is that bad things are going to happen because there's sin in the world. And so when you're trying to make that deal, you know, you're trying to counter all of the things that are naturally going to occur at some point. You know, they say that two-thirds of men will get prostate cancer. Yeah. And almost all of them will get prostate cancer. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, Something they say if you live that. old and if you live to be old enough, every man would get it. Exactly. There's something about that gland that goes wrong. It's just going to happen, and until they find a cure, it's just going to happen, and you have to live with that reality. And so, I might get prostate cancer earlier than I'm, you know, maybe, and then I'm dealing with God, and I'm like, you know. If you take this away, then I'll go be a missionary in Africa. Now, that's a real far-fetched kind of thing, but we might be saying something like, okay, Lord, if you heal me of this, I I promise to be nice to my brother, finally. I'll I'll fix my relationships. I'll I'll quit smoking. I'll do something. I'll do something if you'll do something. Just please, dear Lord, hook me up. And the problem with bargaining is that you're not going to win. You're not going to cut the deal. Right. There's, there's, it doesn't happen. It's, right. You might go through that process, but you have to understand that it's not going to happen how you want it to go down. It just isn't going to happen. So you quit bargaining at one point, and you turn to the next stage of grief, which is guilt. Yeah. And that's a tough one. I'm going to tell guilt you what, is- guilt you know, uh, Charles Stanley is a famous preacher that I kind of grew up with listening to, and he says that guilt is the one thing that a human being is absolutely incapable of dealing with on their own. Well, it's, it's one of those things where when no matter what you do against other people, everything is a sin against God. You know, you, you have to deal with God because he's the only one who can take the guilt away. Right. That's the and point. And so... Right. And yeah, like you're saying, you know, that's the one thing that humans can't deal with on their own. And that's true in, in every fashion because ultimately we need to have God tell us that we're forgiven and that the guilt yes. is gone. And we still feel guilty. That's the thing yeah. is, is I've been forgiven for so many things, big things, little things, whatever. And I look back at my life and I, and I look back and I see laws. And I see things that are not how they should be or or could have gone different. You know, this is really something I think that's important for people to think about. 
You see these movies where people go back in time like 17 again, you know, and stuff like that. And people think about going back and doing it different. And I remember I was at a point in my life in the Air Force and married and had kids and was really, really depressed. Now, you got to understand I'm bipolar and was mental at the time. But I was really thinking about how bad I wish I could just go back in time to when I was 14 and I'd do it all different. Oh, yeah. Tell you me, know? man. And, Tell me. And you feel that. And then I knew that my life had changed, that my perspective had changed, and that I'd reached a new level of maturity and, and also happiness in my marriage when the guilt that I felt and the alleviation of it was when I thought about waking up you know, 20 years ago and doing my marriage right. Now, Not- is, is guilt something that we should uh, continue to live with, or is that wrong? Once we're guilty and we confess it before God and we get forgiven, should we let that go? Is it wrong yeah, to and, let that creep up process. on us? You know how it creeps up on you again? You know, yeah. guilt creeps up on you no matter what. Is it right to let that go and say, look, I've confessed that. That is over. I'm, you know, we've already been there. Is that right? Or should we continue to think about the guilt and let it change what we do now? I think, I think two ways about it. One is if you went to talk to God about it, he'd be like, what? You know, because we already confessed that sin and we're forgiven. Right. If that's the case. Right. So we're like, Lord, I'm really sorry about this. And he's like, sorry about what? Because he said he's going to forget it. Okay, but right. if we f- we are going to walk around with those scars, I heard some story about, you know, oh, yeah. every time you sin, somebody went and nailed a nail in a fence. And then every, you know, all of a sudden, you know, God forgives you of everything, and you get to go take all the nails out of the fence, but all the holes are still there. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, you that's know. a deep point. All them holes are still there. What are you going to do with that? Get some wood filler, some putty? or What's, <laughs> what's the putty? What is you, the putty that fills what, those holes? Well, what you do is you learn to live with the damage that you've done, and you do what you can to repair the damage, and then you also use that as a prism to look through, you know, kind of a uh, wisdom goggles, I guess you could call it. Yeah. And not do those things over again. Yeah. And that's really it. You know, when you when I feel, I can speak just from experience on it, when I know that my wife and I have, let's say, you know, rectified a certain situation and there's forgiveness, if I think back to things I might have said that were hurtful, it, it pains my heart that I would have been that kind of person, that I would have said that kind of thing. And I, and oh, I, wonder, yeah. I wonder if my wife still feels that ache. That's what I'm feeling. Yeah. You know, and the best thing for me to do is to go to her and say, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. What do you, you know, how are you? And she's like, you know what? I'm totally over it. Right on. You just don't have to worry about it. And, 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 and then that's what we, we think about. It. We're like, well, I'm never going to do that again. Yes. You know? And that's the healthy thought then with the guilt is you're just, but why we see what the guilt you're talking about though, the guilt that comes with loss and grief is like, you know, is this my fault somehow? Is that what you do? That's the question. Did I do something to cause this? Do something to upset the karma of the universe? Yeah. And cause this to happen. Cause this this person's going through it and I'm not parents deal with this a lot when their kids get sick. Yeah. Did I do something wrong? What did I do? Did I feed them something wrong? 
just any imaginable thing can yeah. go through the mind and be like, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? If I would have what been a better I- parent, this wouldn't have happened. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and parents of children that are depressed, you know, because the suicide rate's really high from 17 to 25. Yes. And even even going down. For, yes, uh, and a parent, age. you know, me and Mark are both parents, so we're talking about experience here. But, yeah, a suicide, a, a, a parent could feel horrible, uh, feel guilty about a teen, their kid committing suicide, thinking, man, uh, if there was only something I could have been a better parent, if there's only something I could have done, why didn't I reach out? You know, how do you deal with something like that? Counseling. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. You have to get with somebody who knows what they're doing, and you have to talk it out because you need somebody to let you know that in so many instances, they'll either help you see where you messed up and help you work through it, or they're going to be able to tell you that there was no way humanly possible for you to, to, to avoid it. And when my dad killed himself, I went down to Jacksonville here from Nashville. and uh, Oh, down to Jacksonville. You ever heard Dr. Future do his hillbilly? Because he grew up no. in... Oh, man, it's funny. <laughs> oh, my God. He had me rolling on the floor. Dr. Future, he, he's like, he's he's from uh, Kentucky. He's from the, you know, like, oh, yeah. I don't know, Harlan County, if he's from there, but he's from some serious hillbilly country. And, man, when he does his hillbilly voice, oh, it is so funny. He's talking about going up there. And go, I was up there hunting in them, up in them, them hills there, and uh, I see the alien. I drew a bead on him and popped him right through the heart. Grabbed that alien. I took him down in there, and I strapped him to the hood of my car, took him into the city. <laughs> <laughs> So not only did he do his hillbilly bit, he kept it on topic. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was totally relevant. I went out in the woods and I shot me an alien. I popped that bubble-headed moron and I strapped him to the car. And if he hadn't been dumb, he wouldn't have got shot. Nice. I seen this pretty girl. I talked. I said, you know, if you see your way into giving me a little kiss, I... Drop slice a chunk of this alien, get before you take it home, fry it up on the pan. You have not eaten until you've had yourself some alien steak. I'm not kidding. <laughs> alien steak! Oh yeah, you got baby. To get your grill. What you do is you get yourself a, a couple cinder blocks and some wood, and and you get the, oh, yeah. the grate out of your oven, and you build yourself a fire like that, and and you just slice them really thin, oh, you know, because. Because they, they take a while and lots of high heat to cook. And, and, you, and you slice that alien and you throw that alien steak down there, and I guarantee you, you won't need a one because that steak is good. That's good. That, it, is, that is good steak. It's you sort of like pork. It's a sweet meat. you got to have some apples there with it. Maybe a peach or two would probably help you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> better eat some beans. Better eat some beans with that alien. I'm telling you. I'm telling Ain't you. nothing better than old alien in the griddle. Shit, man. <laughs> or, or, or you get you some alien eyeballs there, oh, man. and and oh, you man. crack them open, oh, man. and you put them in the cast iron skillet. Oh, you fry them up with a little butter. Mmm, mm, alien eyeball gel oh, over man. easy. Oh man, you're making me hungry. 
Oh, man, one I like put them alien eyeballs in my mouth, all that butter in there, and I just take a big bite and it squirts all in my mouth. Oh. Set so high on that delay, mm. it just wants to go. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Keep cutting it off because it just gets pulsating with the power. And then when my dad killed himself, I went down to Jacksonville here from Nashville. And I went down there to be with my uh, half-sister and her mom, and, and, uh, and I, I called up my pastor, you know, and I was like, I don't feel bad. You know, my dad's killed himself, and I'm not feeling things. Yeah, well, you weren't that close it. to your dad really anyway, well, so that Well, yeah, helped. but, you know, I really wanted to be. Yeah. Desire, but what, yeah. the thing I was feeling guilty about. If only I was, had reached out to my dad earlier. Actually, it was more if only he had just talked to me. Yeah. If only he had talked to me, I was in a position where I could have helped him. And, and, and I thought about that. I was just like, if only he had talked to me. If only somehow. And what it did is it put me on kind of a path of being that person that reaches a lot more. As opposed to sitting back and waiting for people to come to me. I look for people in pain now. And then I try to help them. So... It certainly changed my life and my approach to how I deal with people in life, you know, because I've seen the pain and I want to do something. And a lot of people, they don't, you know, they don't want to do that. But like for like we were talking about parents, you know, for them the guilt is is horrible when something bad happens to their child. You know, I still feel bad. I feel a, a real strong twinge of pain every time I pick up an iron. Because there was one time I was ironing my clothes, and my year-and-a-half-old son, if, if he was that, even that old, I sat the iron down on the floor because I think I didn't want to knock it over when I was you know, working on the ironing board. I can't remember what it was. I either unplugged it, I left it there. Well, he just went right on over and put his hand on it. And he didn't get burnt bad, but he got burnt. And now the kid doesn't like to go near irons, and he's 23, and uh, every time I pick up an iron, it kind of flashes through my mind in some, you know, well, not every time, but a lot of times. I, th- I remember that. And it's like, you know what I do now? What? I make sure there's no way anybody can get burnt by that iron. <laughs> so that's a good thing. I mean, you learn from that, these, these experiences. And if you learn from these experiences, uh, then you're on that path. Right. Right? That's how you deal with guilt. That's, that's one of the things that you do is you confess and then you try to live in forgiveness. You and live in forgiveness. you correct what you did wrong. And you so correct. That, and that's what I do. As we pass the, uh, the seven stages of grief, uh, we've gone through shock and disbelief, denial, anger, bargaining, guilt. We get to the sixth stage, which is depression. I feel so cold, Johnny. Oh. Uh... What is that? Oh, fright. 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 Fright.
what I do with my spare time. <laughs> All right. You sounded right. like Romstein there for a minute. <laughs> right. Right. It's the house and says fright. Gloomy feelings at night. Closing in the walls are closing in. Fright! Sing it, Mark. Oh, the tunes. <laughs> I need to turn the bass down on the tunes. Everywhere, creepy feelings falling on your skin. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Walls <laughs> are closing in. There's an alien on the wing. Everywhere crawling on the floor. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Ooh, let's get it, kids. <laughs> oh, now, depression. <laughs> depression. Oh. You know, for a lot of us, we're already oh. depressed, so it's not like it's a big I know. Let's <laughs> just, you know, it's kind of like salt on a wound, you know. Oh, yeah, here we go again. Here we go. It's yeah. going to get worse now. It's going to get worse yeah. now, buddy. So, uh, you know, depression comes after we've gone through shock, disbelief, anger, denial, bargaining, and guilt. We finally, those don't work, I guess. And we, yeah, and that's what brings on the depression. That's what brings on the we, depression. We are powerless. Now, let me ask you, I've, Johnny's going through a huge, incredible loss right now and uh grief i'm going through a lot of grief right now and uh this i have i guess i've come to this stage of depression actually uh it may be that i have uh, actually come to this stage now and what do we do the gloom and the doom and there it feels like i'm living in a haunted house about half the time, you know, work is fine. I perform really well at work and everything. I have a good day. I get home. I cruise home in my beautiful car. I have the same car James Bond drove in Goldeneye, a BMW Z3 Roadster. I come home, gliding down the freeway in my beautiful car. I get home, and I get in here, and it feels like I'm living in a haunted house. It's an empty house. There's nobody here but my cat, Nigel. And uh, I hang out. I sit there on the couch with Nigel. Uh, but there's this terrible gloom all around the house, and it feels sort of like I, I'm living in a haunted house. Uh, is that normal as we go yeah. through grief? What, and how do we deal with this kind of gloom? Well, you know, the, you kind of have to look at it knowing that the next stage is acceptance. So if you know that the next stage is acceptance, then what's going to happen is, is you realize that your depression has an end. That the gloom and the sh- and the sorrow actually does come to an end. Oh, thank you. Is that really true? Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Did you hear that, people? Repeat that again. Once you understand that acceptance is is going to happen, because it's one of the seven stages, and it is one that we reach, is that we accept that something bad has happened. It's going to happen. It's going to start. It's going to finish. And we might be depressed, but if we know that we will reach acceptance with it, that there's going to be some kind of balance. 
then it's easier to get through the depression stage because we see the light at the end of the tunnel. So Even if it's a long way off, we know that things are not going to continue to progress the way that they are. And you and I were talking about this earlier when I was talking about health stuff and feeling bad and the nerves and all the different things that were going on in my life. And I remember thinking to myself, if this is how it's going to keep going, I don't want to do it. Right. Yeah, and, right. And, and so what I have to do to move away from that place right. is I have, to, I have to change it. I have to change something about it. And how do we change, do that? How do we reach out to make that change to come out of the gloom? Uh, well, again, I always recommend counseling. Um, somebody that can walk with us through the space and give us hope, you know, that can give us some kind of hope about it that it might be empty, but eventually you're going to get used to it. It's not always going to feel like a haunted house. It's not always going to be echoing with the ghosts of whoever was there before and how things have changed. Or you might even end up not even living there. Or you might end up having a roommate, you know, somebody that needs a place to live. I'm talking about your particular circumstance. Right. But for me, in in my own circumstance, you know, dealing with the loss of health, uh, I just have to understand. You know what I did? I sat there today at dinner with my kids, and I was thinking about after I said, you know, well, I can't eat this anymore, and I can't drink this anymore, and I can't do this anymore. And I was sitting there, I thought, this is awful. You know, here's this great life I've been given, and now I can't do this and I can't do that. And I looked at my kids and I thought about my grandkids that haven't even been dreamed of yet. And I thought, am I going to take myself away from them, either by having a bitter and a hard heart and not being approachable, or God forbid, taking my own life or something like that? Am I going to take Don't do that. Don't do that. No, I won't. But am I going to take myself away from my grandkids? Right. So what I did is I thought down the road a little bit. And I thought, you know, the future is going to be different. It's going to be different. Something's going to change. You know, my health might not change. I might end up with anxiety issues the rest of my life that are close to insurmountable. And I might shake and tremble like the, the Apostle Paul or John Wesley or Martin Luther. Oh, me and Martin Luther got a whole lot in common when it comes to this stuff. You know, I might be a raven lunatic but at times, but I am not going to stop engaging the world. And the fact that you're able to get up and go to work and have good days and enjoy your car means that you're not that depressed. Yeah, it happens when I come home. When I finally get home to this empty house, the gloom sets in, and it is it's almost unbearable. So here lately, I've been seeking for ways to get out of that gloom, and uh, that's a real issue with a real person here, your boy Johnny, and Counselor Mark uh, is is helping me to get out of that you know place. You know, once you get into that stage of depression, you need. Well, one thing is you need to go after Jesus. What I, I got to tell you that there is one tool that I use that really helps my gloom, especially late at night when I can't sleep. I put, I get up, put on my iPod, 
and I listen to daily audio Bible. I go through, man, I go through like three or four sessions. That's dailyaudiobible.com. I've got it on iTunes as a podcast. I just download it. Uh, 15 minutes a day, you can get through the whole Bible in a year. There is something about the Word of God going into your ear, uh, you know, that uh, is, it really helps that depression. I got to tell you, that's about the only thing that's been helping me. Yeah. It's very, very hard, but you have to understand you're in the early stages. Oh, no. <laughs> so by <laughs> early bad, stages, man. I mean early stages of the depression. What kind of stages am I, can I expect to go through now since I'm in the well, beginning of as it? You, as you move closer and closer to acceptance, you're going to go through this negotiation with yourself about who's to blame, whose fault things are, why did it go this way. And this is different than bargaining. Oh, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I got to tell you real quick, Johnny here is not asking why. Johnny knows why. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, okay, well, that's one, that's one question answered. So then you're like, well, one of the things that people get real depressed about, especially when they get in a situation like yours, is they're like, this isn't fair because there was nothing I could do. This was so totally out of my hands, and now I have to live with the fallout. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't it, take the blame for the whole thing, you know, but Johnny boy, he's a wild man. I'm just a wild man. I never cheated on my wife, never, ever, but I'm just, I'm just wild. I'm just, I'm just off the chain, you know. That's why the Iron shows like it is, yeah. but I'm in the early stages of grief, uh, and uh, Counselor Mark is telling me, you know, we got here a Christian counselor, very highly qualified. Now he's going to tell me what to expect as I go through the through this. I'm in the early stage, I guess, right, Mark? What can I expect, and how do I deal with these next stages? Uh, well, I'm going to approach it from the point of view of how do I help you get through this uh, smoother and, and possibly faster. And what happens is is you have to kind of embrace your circumstances look at it and go, okay, this is my reality now. This is what it is. It's not going to go back because it can never go back. It's never going to become what it was ever again because that's how we are. We all change. We all grow. So whatever you're mourning the loss of, it's gone. Okay. And you have to just go, you know what? No matter what things change, no matter who comes back, no matter what happens, it will never be the same again. Okay. And, and so when you look that. at it that way, then you're like, all right, well, if it's never going to be the same again, then I'm going to make it be what I want it to be. Oh, so we do have some uh, power, some power of choice at least. In this particular instance, yeah, because nobody died. Right. You know what I mean? You, yeah. You're not dying. I mean, no. you're dying, but you're not dying. Yeah, everybody's dying. So, <laughs> so you look at it and you're like, you have options. And that's one of the things that depressed people often think. Like I was thinking, it was just like, this is just going to be this way the rest of my life. I'm going to feel bad the rest of my life. My nerves are going to be running me ragged the rest of my life, and I don't want to do this. Well, guess what? They're not. Right now, I feel very relaxed. I'm very happy. I'm having a very good time. Well, why? Because I did something different. I set up the microphone. I Skyped you, and now we're doing something to help other people. And that's what I do. And that's what you do. And that's what we choose to do. We are making it different. And that's how you get out of depression. And that's how you deal with circumstances of loss. As you accept the loss, you understand it will never be the same. There's no reset button. And then you start making choices. And like if it were me, 
I know I'd probably go try to find something really nice to hang on the wall that I like to look at. Oh. And, it, and, and just when I come home, then there's that one little glimmer of something else that actually is a comfort and not an echo of that loss. And you look at it, and you're like, you know, that, that makes the place look better. And then you just build from there because you're building a life. You're building a life differently now. Yeah, there's a there's a yes. Uh, I, I'm a yes freak. I like yes, the band, yeah. the group. There's a yes line I'd like to put on the wall now since you say that. It goes like this. It goes... Yo, man, all you got to do is get that printed up and put it on the wall. Yeah, I'm going to do that. When, when I was going through a really, really hard time back when I was turning 30, uh, I was in South Korea, and I thought, something has to be different here. I can't keep plugging away the way that I am. This is before I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but I was definitely suffering from it. And I wrote on some pieces of paper, and one of the things I wrote, and I put it on my mirror, it said, be your own best friend. And it made a a big difference in my life because I didn't get up every day, look in the mirror and beat myself. I didn't get up every day in the mirror and go, God, you are such a dog or whatever negative thing I was thinking. Yeah, if you're your own best friend, you're like, dude, you rock. (laughs) And and I just thought, I can't get anybody else to be my best friend. I'm going to do it myself. I'll be your best friend, Mark. I know, you you, are, man. If you give me a dollar, I'll be your best friend. BFF. (laughs) All right. I love you, Mark, man. Dude, of of all the people I know, you are one special cat. So we've gone to acceptance and hope. We come to the last stage of grief, which is uh, acceptance, you know. Uh, And uh, that kind of says it all, doesn't it? We're done with the problem, the grief. We've dealt with it, and we've accepted it, and now... I guess what, we move on? We move on? We move on in a way. Um, what happens is you just realize that that part of your life is part of your life now. It's like building on a room onto the house. It's there. You can go in it if you want to, but you don't have to. But it's a reality that you deal with. You know it's there, and, and you just go forward. You accept it. And you're like, okay, well... This isn't how I want it. This isn't necessarily the way I want it to be. But it is the way it is, and I'm not going to live my life in, you know, under the shadow of what's going on. Like with you, you're, you're living with the shadow. Right, yeah. Yep, living with the shadow. And I guess the shadow diminishes and vanishes almost so that it just becomes a part of you. Like when you get something in your eye. I had something in my eye for three years, and the doctor couldn't get it out. And finally he told me, he goes, just wait, and it will become part of your eye, and your body will accept it. And that's what happened. And that just has become a part of me. Well, that's, I've never heard anything like that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. That's kind of a good analogy physically, it I is. guess. <laughs> uh, you know, and I think that we should probably get to the point, you know, as we get to that stage of grief, which is acceptance and hope, 
I think we should probably get to get to that point where we realize that we are servants uh, and uh, and and um, saints uh, in service of uh, the God of the universe. Uh, you know, we've accepted Jesus, you know, as our Savior. We believe that He was God in the flesh. We believe that He died and rose again, and uh, now we're in service to the heavenly cause. We're part of the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to get on and uh, do that service, do that good work, you know, and reach out to people who, have, who have, are going through those uh, stages of grief that we have gone through and have uh, finished with. And now yeah. we're on the other side. And Right? Am I right? Oh, absolutely. And, and the more that we help other people, the better off we'll be. Take the focus off yourself. Exactly. You know, because acceptance is like that. When you when you've accepted, it's it's not like you've acquiesced completely to to a bad situation. You know, you, you haven't given up. What you've done is you've integrated that experience into your life, so that you've got. For instance, I've got a book of pictures. Uh, what do they call that thing when you've got all your pictures in a book? <laughs> An album. An album. An album, yeah. An album. And so I have these picture albums. It's got pictures of me when I was a kid. It's got pictures of me when I was older, graduating high school. It's got pictures of me with my brothers, my mom. And that, that life is gone. But I can sit down and look at that book of pictures, that album, and remember things that were hurtful or good and just accept the fact that it was an experience I had to go through. Because there was no way around it. I was a child, you know. And when other people are making decisions for us, you know, when, like if my wife decided to get up and go, that she had it and she decided to move, and I tried what I could to make it good, but it wouldn't go, she, eventually she's responsible for that decision. And I, what I do is, is I learn to accept that she has that power over her life and my life and so I don't hide from it anymore. I just accept, okay, this is how things are, and I'm going to choose to move forward. I'm not going to let this bog me down. Does it hurt? Yes. Is it a bummer? Yes. Do I miss my own life sometimes? Yes. Oh, yeah. But it's one of those things where you're like, okay, right now, I can either waste all my time looking backwards, or I can build a life. And we're always built. Some moments are definitive. It's like, yeah. uh, it's like Peter Goodgame told me. We have to keep pressing in. We can't be afraid. But we get afraid. Yeah, we do. And we, and we have to learn to live with that, too. We have to understand ourselves. And if we don't go through these processes and analyze things and look at it and try to make sense of it, if we just want to put our head in the sand, then we're never going to grow. And we're never going to gain the ability to go through this stuff. And I would say to our listeners that it's extremely important that those of us that are the people of God get a grip on all of these things because we are going to be shepherds that move the people that we love through these processes. We're going to be those people. We have to be those people. Blessed are the peacemakers, you know? Right. We need to be the peacemakers. And that includes helping people make peace with themselves. 
Can we be uh, can we be thankful for uh, the grief, uh, all those stages that we went through, and now we've come to acceptance, and we're on the other side? Can we thank God for that experience that it has uh, become a lesson to us and uh, become a part of us? Is it proper to be thankful for that experience? I would say, yeah, because you're on the other end of it. You've been successful, and we're all successful by the grace of God. And so when you get to the end of it, back and you go, Lord, thank you for bringing me through it. I'm sorry if I embarrassed you at certain points. <laughs> you know, cause it's, sorry, God, I, I really acted like a jerk at this point. Oh, you know? man. Tell me about it. But that's when you just accept that because you're grieving over your guilt there. And you're like, okay, I'm going to accept this. I got through this. Thank you, Lord, that you brought me to this point. Now what do you have for me to do? And that's what we always need to be asking. You know, it's like Samuel. You know, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Listening, your servant listen. You know, or your servant hears. Okay, so now as we come to acceptance and everything, uh, and this, all these stages are over, could you give the listeners one final word about, you know, go, about these stages of grief? Could you give our uh, listeners a, a final, you know, word to kind of sum up, you know, the stages of grief and, uh, you know, and after we've come to acceptance and, and hope, the last stage of grief? Could you kind of uh, give a message to our listeners to kind of sum up uh, how we deal with sadness and grief, you know, in a, in a kind of a overarching theme? I would say probably the overarching theme that we need to understand is that we choose to go through these things alone. So choose not to. Choose to find someone who can give you strength choose to find somebody who has the ability to walk with you through the circumstances and help you find what you need to find. Don't go through it alone. Don't think you have to go through it alone. Don't think that you're a better person because you go through it alone. And don't fool yourself that you can get through it alone. Somehow, some way, some people go through it by picking up a book and reading a book about it. They're, they're with someone when they do that, the author. Some people... They find a friend. They find a friend from back in the day. Something happens. But you have to spend time with God, and you have to ask him to send you the resources that you need to deal with these stages of grief. You need to ask him to bring you the people into your life, the audio into your life, whether it's a show, somebody else's show, whatever it is. You know, like you were talking about listening to the Bible, you know, we need to find those things, and we need to seek them out actively. So don't get stalled in any one stage of this process because you're too proud to get help going through it. That, that's the biggie. We are the body of Christ, and we need to be sensitive to this going on in other people's lives. So not only is if you are going through this, you need to find somebody to go through it with. If you know someone who's going through it, get with them. You might not be the right person at the right time, but you might be able to help them find the person that they need. We just cannot, in any way, shape, or form, leave each other alone. We can't abandon each other to these things. We can't just say, I'm uncomfortable with this, and leave it. We can't do that. We have to reach out to each other. And that is it. All right. Councilor Mark, you've helped me, and I hope 
that the listeners gain some healing from this. Uh, there's been a lot of wise words here from Counselor Mark, and uh, he's a real person, and uh, he has really laid out uh, some real uh, plans uh, uh, and directions for you to get through the grieving process. So uh, I would encourage you to listen again. And Counselor Mark is also available. You can shoot him an email. You can shoot me an email. Counselor Mark is thebreton at gmail.com. Spell it out. T-H-E-B-R-E-T-O-N at I- gmail.com. All right. All, All right. right. As Dr. Future says, we are getting late in the in the show here. And uh, I think it's time for us to say our one, two, three, goodbye. Here's the count. One, two, three, goodbye. Thank you.